Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is director Phil Hawkins. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about film. I love this. Indeed, indeed. Well, we've got we've got four films to talk about. One is your new film, Prancer, A Christmas Tale, and three are the three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. Everything in my adult life. Wow. I mean, the everything has changed it all. I'm going to check. No, I, th- I think I've chosen well. I agonized. Two were, two were dead certs and one of them, I was like, ah, oh, what should this third one be? I feel like we're going to finish the conversation and I'll think of another one. <laughs> but I've committed now. There's no going back. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, before, before we get into your three choices, yep. let's talk about Prancer, A Christmas Tale. That's out now. It's out now, yes, on Sky and now TV. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what Prancer Christmas Tale is? I mean, there's a clue in the title, but do you want to go into what actually the story is you're telling? Yeah, so uh, Prancer uh, Christmas Tale is a, is, is a, I like to call it a reimagining, not a remake or a reboot, but okay, there's okay. an American classic in 89 called Prancer mm-hmm. um, that um, is you know a lovely movie and was maybe more of an, uh, sort of an American, more of a sort of classic status as America, but I remember watching it as a kid as well. Um, so this is kind of a new story in that 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 franchise, for, <laughs> for want of a better word. And um, it's about a uh, 10-year-old Gloria uh, who uh, is dragged over to the States after her grandfather, who she doesn't really know, uh, has an accident. And he believes that um, it was a reindeer that caused this accident, which is insane because there aren't any reindeer where he lives. And, uh, and he's muttering about this thing being magical and everyone thinks he's basically losing the plot. Um, so then thus becomes the adventure of these kind of two strangers, fish out of water kind of tale of these um, two characters trying to discover whether this, uh, he's trying to discover whether this uh, reindeer is magical or not. And she's just basically trying to keep him out of trouble and because and, they're, they're all thinking about putting him in a retirement home. So essentially, that is the on-the-surface, family-friendly uh, <laughs> Christmas movie. But um, the film actually is, is about loss and about grief and about closure. Um, and uh, as any Christmas film should be, it should have something for everyone. And that was, uh, that was the main challenge for me in, in helping develop the script and tell this story was trying well, to well, have well, that's something... Inter- I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the script there then, because... Greg mm-hmm. Taylor wrote the original 1989 version and he's credited as yes. the writer to it. So how does that process work when you come on to like reimagine it, as you said, for, for 2022? Yeah, so I mean, he's still like the writer uh, for this one. We work very closely together. I think, um, it, you know, it, it's a studio movie, so it's universal. Um, 
um, you know, financed the film. Hmm. And um, and it was a pitch, basically. Um, they'd seen, uh, and the producers, Raffaella De Laurentiis, who, you know, of the sort of De Laurentiis dynasty, and hmm. <laughs> you can have a whole podcast about her and her dad and the amazing movie she's made, like, you know, the original June and Conan and yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. films like that. Amazing. Um, so um, she's seen a couple of shorts of mine, actually, right. okay. uh, that I... Um, I, uh, for a while stopped kind of focusing on indie film. Right. Uh, cause I felt like I'd reached a point where, uh, I really wanted to make studio film. Yeah. And probably reflecting on the films I'm going to talk about are all mm. mainstream kind of leaning films because yeah, I've yeah. always aspired to make big, you know, huge films. So I made a Star Wars fan film <laughs> called Indeed, Star Wars Origins and I made a short called Say Grace, um, which was set in Italy. Uh, and uh, two very, very different films, but they, you know, um, uh, you know, caught the attention of, of Raffaella and, 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 and Universal. Uh, and then basically it was a pitch. So I had the original script, you know, from Greg. Um, and for me, it was the original draft was very much a kid's film. And my whole pitch to them was to try and make it a family movie. Now, okay. <laughs> People might think they're the same thing. I was going to say, very, let's, very let's, I'm going to say, put, you know. put me the piece of paper that sits between those two, those two <laughs> well, descriptions. I think, um, I think in terms of a kids' film, um, is trying to use that as a derogatory term, but it's something that ha- that is all very surface. And to keep a kid entertained, you know, it's got to do certain things. Uh, you got and and you know, we have a real life reindeer, obviously Prancer in the movie and you'd need a you'd need a reindeer on every page basically to keep the attention oh, of okay. the kids. Oh, okay. See what you're saying. Um, I see what you're saying. But the film wasn't that. It was actually trying uh, to talk about family and dysfunctional relationships and and my whole pitch when I first did it was like I want to connect the loss of um Bud who's played by James Cromwell, uh his wife, the, the loss of his wife and and connect that to this kind of almost unhealthy obsession with trying to find out this reindeer because she loved Christmas and she died at Christmas. Um, and this is before the film begins. And that's caused a massive rift in this family and the whole dynamic of these relationships and, ha- and is the reason why it's brought everyone back together. Um, and that for me was like the kind of linchpin of this is, is he's he, like, is it some sort of message from his wife? Is it so, you know, he's, 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 he's pushing everyone away and he's about to let go of the one thing that's, getting it up, you know, <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, grief is a, is a strange and multi-layered thing. And it's very unique and individual to the people that, you know, go through it. And I think we can all relate in different ways. And this is kind of how he channels that energy. It's kind of the last tiny little bit of fingernail, you know, of, of clutching onto, you know, the passing of his wife. Um, and um, so that was my whole thing to it was like, I'd love to just make it um, say something, you know, and uh, instead of just being a fun tale about a granddaughter and a, and a grandfather and a reindeer, which is great fun. <laughs> and there's some lovely stuff in there. But I think, you know, um, I mean, I've been in previous screenings coming out of cinemas recently and people have been floods of tears. And <laughs> I think I think it's a bit disarming because I think, you know, so, it, so in it, a sense, it, the classic, it, the classic Christmas movie, I suppose, where 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 we get people coming out with floods of tears is a, is a you know it's a wonderful life, say you know, which has got lots yes. of lovely, tender family moments, but obviously it deals with very raw human emotions at the same time. Yes, 
Yeah. And, and that's obviously a big inspiration. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, 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 uh, there's lots of other touch points like up, for example, ET, yeah. you know, yeah. like, you know, these films like that, that I've really tried to, you know, be inspired by in making this film and trying to just, you know, weave a tale that works for, you know, for yeah. everyone, which actually is rather difficult. <laughs> Indeed. No, I imagine, I imagine it's a kind of, like you say, it's a, it, they might appear to be the same thing, a family and a, and a kids movie, but mm. actually there is a, there is a slim piece of paper between the two that, that differentiates them easily. Yes. Now, being yeah, yeah. able to make that studio film that you've wanted to make, in terms of what people see on the screen, what are you most excited for people to see that you're able to achieve that, you know, in all honesty, your average indie movie production, you might not have been able to get to that scale. What kind of big thing are you, are you looking forward to people to see that you're able to achieve? Oh, well, um, I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff that, you know, as a as a filmmaker, there's things, but also as an audience that people may not notice. So I mean, okay. we shot in Romania, mm-hmm. um, and everything is built. You know, so so you know, our house on the mountainside and everything is you know is is built. The interior is built. Like everything is built. The 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 street is a backlot set. You know, and um, and also just having the ability to go into the mountains and go into the woods and light woods at night. And there's a, there's a oh, beautiful, wow. which, um, there's a, there's a great snowmobile sequence where they're kind of, you know, following the reindeer through the forest and, mm. you know, and that's all for real in, in the mountains, you know, lit with massive lights <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that sort of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily be able to have that sort of scale. Um, you know, if you were trying to do it independently, cause you're always trying to, save some money and there's you know if there's an easy way to do it that tells the story yeah then fine but this for me and that was my whole remit challenge making the film was to try and push everything to the biggest thing it can be because essentially it's a you know it's a small film about a dysfunctional family but i was trying to bring it onto a on onto a larger canvas the same right. way like you know spielberg makes very personal films but they feel cinematic they feel big they feel larger than life they feel heightened um and um so yeah so i think you know that in terms of um uh, and obviously of course cast you know um being able to have you know oscar nominee james cromwell yeah yeah um, yeah. from babe and la confidential and like these amazing movies um to have him at the center of the film is 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 wonderful um and also just as i think as a filmmaker it's you know the cliche is like don't make (laughs) films about kids and animals and the one they miss out is snow because that's also very very difficult to film in (laughs) um and i and i you know i've always thought well you're missing out on all the fun (laughs) because uh you know it's great to go on an adventure in the snow and and shoot snow snow is beautiful and it always Mm. looks great on film but um you know we had this found this amazing young actor uh, called Darcy Ewer, who plays the ten-year-old yeah. um, Gloria, and she, her performance is just phenomenal. Like it's really phenomenal, and um, and such a wonderful switched-on uh, young actor to work with. And her first leading role, and she's pretty much on every page. And it's just, um, and then you know, having a real-life reindeer. I mean, that's no, that's no mean feat. No, <laughs> to try and get a performance out of a real reindeer. Um, so, you know, it has its challenges, but, you know, they're ones to kind of embrace. I mean, uh, out of interest of, then, when, you know. you, when you're working with a, a real-life reindeer, mm-hmm. the people that obviously are bringing the trained, film-friendly one, how do they manage your expectations of what's achievable with a reindeer? Well, <laughs> the expectations are you can't train a reindeer, <laughs> which you can't. 
so <laughs> so okay. it's very clever it's very clever and so we had an amazing animal handler who yeah. worked with our reindeer for months and they had this really beautiful bond and it's mainly about trust and it was mm. mainly about the training was mainly about being around people because this was you know this reindeer hadn't been on the set before hadn't been around mm. lots of people before and you know we've got a, a big third act that involves the reindeer being surrounded by crowds of people like that's that's a lot that's stressful yeah yeah it yeah can yeah, be yeah. stressful for animal so it took months and months to uh establish this bond first with the animal handler um and then you know with me because i'm quite close to it and then with you know, some of the actors um and and then i think it's like you have to have your ex- expectations low, yeah. but that's not to say um, and you can't I, be I guess ambitious. any animal. Yeah, well, yes, but you also have to lean into what the animal brings because, okay. you know, she's different personality at different times of the day, you know, and, and like, like any actor. <laughs> so you, uh, you lean, so you lean into what you think, mm. you know, is best for that moment. And if she's being very calm and being very, you know, static and still, then great. If she's being a bit more kind of restless um, and the animal handler's, you know, happy for that to continue, she's just being curious and she's moving around more, then you, then you go with that. And I'm, we always, I always joked with, with, um, with Jamie and Darcy who are like one and two on the call sheet is like, when the reindeer is on set, you need to add a zero because the reindeer becomes the star and becomes the center of the attention and becomes the diva because we all have to get in line with what she's doing. Yeah. And if, even that involves changing the blocking or just, it's about patience. Yeah. You know? And of course, James Cornwall, having done Babe, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, knows about having patience with looking, you know, waiting for animal kind of performance. And I'm very, very, very proud of, of, of the performance she puts in because there's only very minimal CG when we really had to do CG. Yeah. And the rest of it is her. And, and for me, I was trying to make a film that had a kind of, you know, 80s, 90s kind of feel that this is a Christmas movie that feels like it's been around for a while already, mm. you know. Um, and just to do a, a full CG reindeer, which I think is what, the original plan was before I came on board and said, no, I'm going to do it for real. Um, okay. So, that, so just, that was your active choice. Not, yes. not, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, I think everyone thinks it's easy to do it later. Like, Oh, we just do CG reindeer. It's fine. CG reindeer. Um, I'm like, not in my movie because it's a character. And as much as, as wonderful, you know, uh, as that can be, it's, for me, leans then back into kind of the kid zone of something that's animated and artificial yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. something that's real. I see what um, you're saying, yeah. And, and, it, and for, for me, watching things like that, it takes you out of the film. Yeah. You know, it takes you out of it because you always, there's an artifice there. Whereas when it's a real reindeer, you kind of stop questioning it. Um, and then we use tools of the filmmaking kit, you know, to make that reindeer have performance. So editing, of course. Mm. Um, and sound and we had you know the legend Frank Welker do who's Sven in Frozen <laughs> so you could say I got Sven in my movie um, <laughs> but uh, you know I, he did the original Transformers voices original Scooby-Doo like the guy's a legend and he came on and vocalized the reindeer for us and there are only noises and sounds and a little thing but it's amazing when you start matching sounds with a little bit of movement with a blink with a breath you know mm that there's a language that you form and it forms a personality uh, in the film, you know, for that. No, character. no, no. I think, I think it's a part of cinema that, that often goes sort of un, undocumented as part mm-hmm. of the process. I listened to an interview recently with 
with the woman who did the demonic voice in The Exorcist, and she and yeah. she was replicating it on 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 the on the interview, and I was like, God, this wasn't special effects. This was this is just a woman's voice. She can do yeah. this, and you're like, well, like the like the voice of ET. That yeah. was just a woman that. You know, Ben Burt bumped into in a supermarket who was like a bit of a chain smoker and uh, heard a voice. He was like, wow, <laughs> you've got an amazing voice. Here's 250 bucks. Come in f- an hour. Come and film it. And she was like, this is Christmas. Uh, and, and you know, and did like, I think there's only 12 or 13 actual lines of E.T. in, in E.T. So did all those. Um, and uh, it's the same. Like, he, we all know the E.T. voice. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. <laughs> um now, we don't have a talking reindeer because, again, kid movie versus family movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're yeah. getting distinctions. Uh, but uh, but there's definitely conversation, you know, okay. with sound I get you. Uh, between the characters. Which, which sort of speaks to the idea of, of Prancer being a character in your film. Also. Yes. Well, yeah, look, definitely. Prancer Christmas Tale is out now. And what is that? It's on Sky and Now TV. Yes, it's Sky Original and, and Now TV. And, and if you're listening elsewhere, it's on physical formats. And in the States, it's on everything. <laughs> you can find it. Okay. Uh, but uh, but yeah, in the UK, it's a Sky Original. So, uh, or Now TV. Brilliant. Well, congratulations on that. I look forward to seeing Thank it. Thank you. Let us move into the the film love chitter chatter now, where we're gonna <laughs> where we're going to uncover... Uh, your three films that impacted everything in your adult life. It's a big statement, isn't it? It's a big statement, and I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm confident. Right. I think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna set myself up with the alarm for those that haven't heard this format before. The, the clacks, which just may, reminds me of Goldeneye. This this alarm playing Goldeneye in the N64. That's what that's what reminds me of. Okay. When you le- <laughs> well, just so for those that don't know the N64 of Goldeneye, <laughs> when the five minutes are up, Phil and I will hear. Let us start the chaos then for you. <laughs> the clock is ticking uh, on Jurassic Park from 1993. What impact? Well, tell me where you saw that when you first seen it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I picked this. And I'm like, I don't know how I can talk. There's too much of, to talk about this film. Like, okay. This is the one that made me find my obsession with, with film and filmmaking. Okay. And I, I remember very vividly watching it. Um, uh, in in Manchester, in a cinema that actually is no longer there. Which cinema then? Obviously, I'm I'm a Manchester boy. So where, which cinema? It was. was uh, I grew up in Burnage, and there okay. used to be a, a cinema above the the Bingo Hall. Uh, in uh, if anyone knows, on Kingsway. Wow. And, uh, and it got ripped down. I think it's now an Audi. But for uh, um, uh, but yeah, but for many years, I'd go to school, and basically the back of the cinema because it burnt, got burnt down. It yeah, had a fire was ripped out and you could see cinema seats at the end of my road. It, like, talk about like something that you put in a movie, like a, like a biopic about a film character and you think that's cheesy, but that is generally true. Anyway, yeah. So I, w- I went to see it there. Yeah. And I just, I, just re- I just remember it. I was petrified. I was fascinated. I was in awe. I, you know, I was very much the age of, like Tim in the film when I, when I watched it. So mm. I very much saw it from his perspective. Um, and yeah, I remember jumping on my auntie's knee during like the T-Rex sequence. And thing is, it's like, I knew it wasn't real. Like I, I knew it wasn't, it's a movie, mm. but like I was feeling all this stuff. Like the dinosaurs are real. Like, ha- like how is this even possible? Yeah. Who is this Steven guy? And, and what did he do? And like that year I was like, I just, and again, this is obviously pre-internet, pre going onto YouTube or just, you know, before any kind of behind the scenes stuff. I got Jurassic Park, the annual, 
that year, 1993 for Christmas. And it had behind the scenes photos in it of how they did things and just seeing the T-Rex, you know, just the feet or just the head and, and the, all the craft and modeling that went into creating this thing and making it live. Mm. It blew my mind. And like, even to this day, I still pour over those behind the scenes photos. And anytime I find a Jurassic Park behind the scenes photo I haven't seen, like, I'm like, oh my God, it kind of fills a piece. Um, and, you know, and, and that's what, for me, I was saying like impacting everything you're at life. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, I'm a director and that, <laughs> that, that I'm a director because of Jurassic Park and because of watching that for the first time. Yeah. And, and the obsession with trying to figure out how it was done yeah. Because I, 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 and that for me is like, yeah, I, even to this day, I'm immersed in the movie when I watch it. Like, I'm not watching shots. I'm not watching, you know, it, it, it really, you can in. still, you can still enjoy the movie. Yeah, as I, entertainment. I mean, I mean, I've, yeah, 100%. I still like, if, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day or, or I just want, if I can't figure out what to watch, I'll just take Jurassic Park on and I'll just watch a section of it. I just maybe watch the T Rex, the paddock sequence or something. I'll just, I'll just watch it because, and sometimes I, you know, and I think I, th I think I've heard this in your podcast, but people talk about it. it's like watching a film without sound. Mm. You know, just you know, you know, turn turn the sound off and watch it. Yeah, uh, yeah, sort of analytically and see how powerful images can be. Um, yeah, that was a producer. And, that was a producer, Sam Haley, giving advice to young filmmakers how to yeah, see how a film works. Yeah, that was it. You know, and and I, I've done that, and especially like Indiana Jones as well, and other Spielberg movies. Like if you watch the blocking and the cinematography and the way that Spielberg blocks a scene in like long masters and things. And that was a big inspiration for me in, in doing Prancer as well was, you know, this whole long master. Um, anyway, I'm getting distracted. Jurassic Park. Um, well, no, like I mean, just, just for those, I mean, those, this is what, 30, it's going to be 30 years ago next year, isn't it? Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. It's really hard to imagine in 2023 how revolutionary, I mean, how much of an event this was. I mean, while you, were in, while you were on the King's Road, I yeah. was at Warner Brothers at Pillsworth in Berry watching it. So that was that was you know it was like our first multiplex was yes. one of I mean yeah, it's not yeah. there sadly that's not there anymore either yeah. but I guess in this and 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 thinking about that pre-internet time mm -hmm. it genuinely was you had to go you more or less because you could only catch things on TV you didn't catch mm -hmm. it on TV you never saw the previews no so then no. when you went to the cinema this was a magical event wasn't it yeah. All, all, all I have look I'm wearing the t-shirt now I'm wearing my dress park t-shirt for all the podcast people for all the, for all the, that's great for audio. <laughs> but yeah but that's but the power of it everyone knows what the Jurassic Park logo looks like instantly yeah. you know yeah. and 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 that was the genius of the marketing mm. like the only dinosaur on the poster was the, the you know the red and white you know roundel image and the, the skeleton and that was it so like and that's I didn't even see a trailer for seeing Jurassic Park it was just uh, so it was a complete fresh experience yeah um and um, I used to draw that logo. I mean, I can still draw it to this day and know where every single bump is on the back of that T-Rex. Like, it's just there. I, like, talk about obsession, you know. And it's not like, and now being, you know, uh, oh, oh, that's not fun. Okay, can I talk, can my three films be Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3? Well, okay. I was just going to add as well, Jurassic Park, from a screenwriter point of view, Jurassic Park has one of the cleverest bits of sort of, 
exposition to get the film going. Yes. So you don't have to waste time on the science, but it does it in a way that feels part of the movie and not yes. exposition with the whole yeah. Uh, the whole kind of basically the introduction to the bloody island. It's it's yeah just, yeah definitely. But I mean, but I know it's always in screenwriting classes. It's always held up as being a great example yeah. of how you take something really complicated and turn yeah. it into entertainment, so it doesn't feel yes. like you're telling the audience. Yeah, genius, absolutely genius. I had the pleasure of interviewing David Kep, actually, a writer, uh, a little while ago, and yeah. uh, trying not to fanboy too much. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't that, it? That when you, when you, but, I mean, um, and we're going over time. We're breaking the rules, but I just, it just, I can talk about it. I could talk about it all day that film, and yeah. and I've watched it. I don't know how many times, you know. Right. And well, I've let's, always let's, said like, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. Uh, now I do oh, I do these in vicious. I do these in reverse date order, oldest to newest. So in terms of release date, the next film yes. is Peter Weir's The Truman Show. Yeah. Uh, from nineteen ninety eight. So this film, uh, I was a big Jim Carrey fan okay. you know, of Still Am. But like, you know, so The Mask and Ace Ventura and these kind of films, I, I was just like, I was amazed at like his physicality of performance. Yeah. So he's amazing. Like it was just the great movies. Um, and this film, I went going in almost thinking it was going to be the same kind of thing. Like, oh, it's a Jim Carrey movie. So I'll mm. watch it. And I was completely like blown away about what the actual film was about. And this is, I've chosen this because firstly, it was probably one of the first times I realized the power of like acting and performance, you know, like to go for an act to go for something like, you know, liar, liar and the mask and things. And then, yeah, and then yeah, have yeah, yeah. such a beautiful, like human performance in a film like this, but then keep the kind of extra, the, the, the kind of, um, the eccentric, extrinsicities. Thank you. Thank you. Edit that in. No. Um, <laughs> of what makes him Jim Carrier that, in terms of bringing personality to a role. Yeah. But 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 staying in lane. You know, not you know. Absolutely. And, um, and and you know, so I think that was really wonderful. But also, it just blew my it blew my sense of reality out of the water. Like to this day, sometimes I'm like, is this is this is this real? Is this a simulation? Like, <laughs> you know, is this you know? And I never. And I still remember the feeling coming out of that film and then just looking around constantly like, is everyone extras? Are the cameras everywhere? Is this kind of, it just warped, not in terms of like some self-inflated ego, like I'm Truman, but like it just made me question reality, Yeah, you know? And like one of the other films I was going to choose was The Matrix for that kind of reason. Yeah. It was like just entering a world that just absolutely warped my brain in terms of, you know, us as people, us as like, you know, the world, our, our sense of place uh, on the planet from something that is a movie and something is like entertainment. And it's just, and it, uh, and now again, I mean, I get, I watched this film countless, countless, countless times um, because, you know, whereas Jurassic Park, you know, has spectacle and scale and excitement mm. and adventure, the Truman Show is a, is, is a very small movie, you know, at its heart. And, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of beauty to it and there's a lot of commentary. And like, again, these days, like, oh, the Truman Show, you reality TV. It's like, this thing, it like invented reality TV, you know? So it's got a lot to answer for as well. Well, <laughs> as not, well and all, also as well, Island. that that that, um, that basic tenet of drama, which is, you know, yeah. all characters are looking for the truth and people to trust. And this is the ultimate betrayal of a character. That's, yeah, 
like absolutely 100%. And, um, you know, and obviously the Philip Glass score, you know, and, uh, and uh, sorry, Phil, uh, Philip Glass and, uh, and obviously Burkhard, who, you know, did a lot of the themes as well. But those guys do working together. Mm. It's, it's just a great score. That I, again, I listen to to this day. Um, and I remember actually coming out of the cinema, um, both kind of first <laughs> mix of emotions. Okay, uh, obviously my reality is warped. Yeah. But then also I was like, I really wanted to know what was through that door. Like what I wanted him to, you know, I wanted him to unite with the one. I wanted them to get together. I wanted them, to, I wanted there to be this life beyond. And like, and I'm so glad they didn't. And I'm so glad there wasn't that yeah. scene. I'm so glad there wasn't. But at the time, I was like infinitely like frustrated <laughs> because I didn't want it to end. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and I yeah, felt yeah. like it was. I wanted to know what the world was like, you know, beyond the dome, as it were. Um, and it just there's just so much in there, like filmmaking wise, in terms of, you know, it's it's like almost invented Gogglebox. Like it's you know those beautiful character portraits of the women with the Truman pillows and and the security guards and their little bits of humor of like, no, just leave the keys. It's fine, leave the keys. You know, and, and everyone in the bar. Uh, and like again, it's sort of like exposition, and but involving the audience as yeah, watchers yeah, on sure. this world. Um, that was just such a clever, clever. I mean, idea. I mean, if yeah. you think, if we think about your sort of average conspiracy nut, and then you watch the Truman Show, <laughs> surely they can see what how much is really involved for any kind of conspiracy to really pan out. And that's one yeah. person in it. You know, the amount yeah, of people yeah. that were orchestrating. The Truman Show, as opposed yeah. to the idea that oh, that was a government act, this was a conspiracy. That you know, the Truman <laughs> Show really shows you that you need so many players to so make... much people. So yeah, and that line is like um, Ed Harris says, like it, you know, it makes a fortune, but also costs like the same as a small country to keep it running. Yeah, you know? it's kind of it does, and it's uh, and you know, and it's like, um, and it's like the end. And it's what like... was he say? But um, but yeah, it just it just and you know and. The, trying to have the first sort of conceived child and stuff on the show and all this stuff. It's like, there's so many like interesting, almost dark themes in there about entertainment. Oh no, I think it's what, I mean, I think you know? its surface is, is one of wonder, but actually as it unpacks itself, it is a really cruel film. Yeah. 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 Be because and, he is, uh, I, he I, doesn't I, understand the world he lives in yet. No. He believes it. And then once you scratch away at that surface a bit, I mean, not being able to trust anyone, if you're, yeah. you know, you imagine being forty years old and suddenly realizing you can't trust anyone. That's, no, I know. That's the, that's the insane. ultimate horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, again, another film we could talk about for a very long time, but like, it's you know, it's um, wonderful film. Indeed. Well, look, just about on the cusp as we get into the the new millennia, the year two thousand <laughs> is here, and um, M Night Shyamalan. I never say that. Uh, Shyamalan. Shyamalan. I think it is. I used to say Shyamalan for a very long time, but I think it's it, it's Shyamalan. Okay, cool. Well, his his film is super. I suppose his anti superhero film, I suppose you would call it. Yeah. Uh, Unbreakable. Do you want to talk us through where where that gets what what that gets to be impacted on you? Yeah. So. You know, I chose this because hopefully I can sneakily obviously talk about other films he's done as well, like you know, Sixth Sense and 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 The Village and Signs, to wonderful film. There's like four films there that blew my mind, and I was Shyamalan obsessed. And yeah. the reason why I chose this one is because I feel like it it was almost the first film where it really clicked that cinematography can tell story. 
you know, okay. and like some of the kind of long, beautiful kind of portraits and masters that he does that build tension and or build excitement or build intrigue. The, and, and the way that the camera is used, you know, think about the, you know, um, Samuel Jackson falling down the steps and you have that kind of rotating, almost abstract kind of imagery. Okay. And for me, it's like I'd seen in sort of at this age <laughs> starting to kind of study film and, and different kinds of film and and uh, looking at, you know, films that are less mainstream. And this one that that can feel inverted commas arty and yeah. not to get into that and waste my time. This one was like, oh my God, this is a big blockbuster that feels artistic. It feels directed in a mm. great way, you know? Mm. And every single scene in that film for me is like shot in a really interesting way, but not for the sake of it. You know, if, if it's from like the hospital where you're pushing through some foreground, you don't quite know what it is. And you realize that it's breathing and someone breathing. And then, and then as the camera pushes forward, it bleeds out, you know, and someone dies right in front of him as this dialogue scene is going on behind. Mm. Um, and also actually talking about exposition, it's an expositional scene that's given tension because of that. Yeah. Um, to obviously say like, you know, Samuel Jackson falling down the stairs, Mr. Glass and, and using the symbolism of his cane, um, you know, and, and shooting it in a very interesting way. Um, and also it has a terrifying, ter like I'm still terrified to this day of, of covers on swimming pools and falling in them and getting trapped in them. And I think that's, I think for me, that's the worst way to go. Like <laughs> I just, I'd hate it. Um, so yeah, I just thought the film was supremely beautiful. Um, and, uh, so atmospheric, mm. um, that it just felt truly immersive. And also just, I was never a big comic book fan, you know? Um, so the comic book stuff, um, or the kind of mythology or symbolism of comic book stuff only really kind of on later, later watches, you know, that really kind yeah. of clicked. Um, but it was like, wow, this is a grounded superhero tale. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this isn't Superman. This isn't Batman. And like, and again, I didn't really know where it was going. Like, yes, I'd seen trailer and, and things like that, but developing superpowers, but this, but this guy that's, you know, um, going through this, you know, a very difficult time in his marriage and trying to connect with his son. And then, you know, and, and the connection with his son, you know, I still remember the whole, you know, um, the kind of paint pots of like how much he can lift and and all that stuff, you know, yeah. it's just, it's so well done. And I feel like the film is, I mean, can we say it's underrated? Like, no, I, don't it's got, know. I think I, you can. I think you, you can. Know. I think it, 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 I was just, I'm looking at it and thinking it, it, it's the, I didn't, I'd forgotten it's the one that follows Sixth Sense. Yes. And in a way, if you think stylistically, I mean, it's going to mm -hmm. sound maybe like a crass comparison. It's a bit like those people that love the film Drive and then mm -hmm. went to watch Only God Forgives after and were like, mm -hmm. this isn't the same filmmaker, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's very, very different. Yeah. Um, but the, um, and then I, th I feel like he'd just been given permission to do what he wants, yeah. essentially, with the camera and embraced it. Now, you know, on further studying and stuff and looking at his comic book, the reason why he did it and long mass of portraits, so it felt like it was inspired by comic book frames, like it wasn't overly cut, so it was trying to have oh, a sort okay. of a graphic, it was trying to have a graphic kind of novel like appeal to it. Right, so it's about creating panels and frames within yeah. that you might get in a comic book, but not going so stylized that you're into like, you know, it feels on the nose. So in, in a weird was, way then, it's almost like he's done... <laughs> by going trying to create that effect it almost comes closer to formalist cinema you know the idea of yes. holding of yeah, holding like the frame traditional formal cinema yeah, yeah yeah which you know and again why i love it and why i love spielberg films like the kind of the 
the dance of the camera and the choreography of camera and blocking mm. is a real art to it. And um, not to plug Prancer again, but uh, on Prancer, I've done some uh, wanners, you know, a lot of like long dialogue scenes in wanners and, mm. and move the camera in really interesting ways, hopefully, but all, all to serve performance and all yeah. to, I mean, look, when you've got James, <laughs> James Cromwell in a, in a two-hander with you know, Aaron McCusker, who's an amazing actor, like, why cut? <laughs> you well, know, well, then, well that, um, from a director's point of view, then why, why? Well, there we go. The bell. I can ask this question now. Why? What does? What energy does? Do you think a one gives rather than a kind of you know one over the shoulder for one, another over the shoulder, you know, another shot from the other side or whatever? You know, what does the one give you at the performance? It allows the audience to look wherever they kind of want want to look in in some way, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, it uh, obviously has a sort of you know. If done badly, it can have a theatricality to it. But yeah, actually, yeah. I mean that in a positive way of like, it's real time. You know, this tension um, uh, and um, reality in Warner's. Yeah, because cinema time is in the cut, isn't it? Cinema time yeah. is a transition in the cut. Yes. Whereas this one allows you to stop or pause or extend or build. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, it's playing saying. with time in a way that if you don't do it often in a film... That it really makes a moment feel special, and it, it's I and the the couple of plays I've done it in Prancer is one. There's a quite an energetic, uh, busy breakfast scene that has all the characters in it, uh, and for me, I wanted to, to have a sense of life and reality. My whole approach to this film was to try and keep it grounded. Like, yeah. Yes, you've got a magical reindeer, and it's a Christmas movie, but I wanted the the, the family dynamics to feel. Uh, relatable and feel real. Mm. So for me, having a a breakfast, it's one of those things that. And um, Raphael, the producer, kind of said one of the things that she loved about it was um, when you have all people sat at a table at breakfast stuff, like there's always someone getting up. There's always someone doing something. There's always someone going to get something. There's always a distraction. There's always multiple conversations going on. And they're very, very hard to film, uh, you know, a reality like that. And they're very hard to kind of edit, you know. Yeah. So I blocked <clears throat> and choreographed a scene that had a lot of life and motion to it, but in one shot because it allows you to dance around the reality and pick up you know what we need to you know in terms of the story what we need to tell mm. um so it's again it was trying to create reality and and the second time we use it is a very sort of quiet dialogue scene but an important dialogue scene between father and son and it's yeah. all about dynamics it's all about using staging to represent status you know, when someone sits, when someone moves, when someone, you know, stands. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's using that to suggest character. Uh, and, you know, and you know, Spielberg is an absolute master at it. And obviously he's inspired by some of the greats as well in terms of, as you say, yeah. traditional filmmaking. Um, but I've yeah. never been one that, and again, maybe this because of Unbreakable and because of the inspiration I've had is like, cut when you need to cut and shoot what's best to tell the story visually. I, I, I'm, I'm so bored shooting over shoulders and yeah. wide masters and stuff. I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm directing. I just feel like I'm. I was going to say, yeah, I suppose, I suppose in know. a way there's, 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 there's a kind of really sort of, I guess for want of a better expression, a kind of old fashioned TV route, which is whose point of view are we meant to be in? And then yes. we cut to the next point of view. Whereas a wanna is about inviting you into a space, isn't it? Sometimes as well as yes. the, the point of view. I mean, I guess, I guess the one take stuff you see like a film like Boiling Point, where the point yeah. of view changes because the camera moves. So it can be, I'm following all the action in the restaurant and yes. then I'm going to focus on Stephen Graham for the moment. And you yes. and you buy that 
you buy that yes. with the way the camera works. And I was, I've listened to interviews with like Damien Chazelle or Jeremy Chaunier mm-hmm. with like Green Room or Whiplash. And they talk about when you've just got six people in a room to make that mm-hmm. interesting is actually more challenging than the big oh, yes. set pieces where you've got blood guts and everything. You know, it's like it's... 100%. That kitchen scene on the page, I was like, I cannot shoot this conventionally. <laughs> Firstly, it would take like two days because yeah. you've got to shoot, you know, you've got to shoot the look to that person and yeah. then you're going to cross line there. So you've got to shoot the other shoulder and you've got any... You're suddenly into like 50 setups yeah. for like, you know, eight, nine people sat at a table. And you're like, oh my... And also, again, I had a lot of kids. There's kids in the film... You know, and it was, and it's making sure that their performance doesn't go kind of stale, and because you know they okay. get bored, you know. Um, so it's a case of giving them um, the stage, as well, giving them the platform to kind of improvise between moments. So there's a lot going on in that sort of breakfast scene in Prancer of like, you know, sharing pancakes and stealing them. There's not enough left, so you're passing that and pass me this and grabbing that and do. You know, so there's a lot of it's just life. It's it's kind of messy mm. in a way that if you were going to shoot that conventionally, it would, I think, feel a bit contrived. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But because you're in this, because you've, <laughs> sorry, you've stopped time. That's a weird way of putting it. But like, because you've allowing the audience to settle and take in mm. what it, what feels like reality in a sense, what feels like it's, it's kind of very human and very real mm. in terms of the movement. Um, uh, it's, uh, I think, I think it, I think it helps, obviously helps the young performances where it helps create something that hopefully feels a bit more ground and real, like these characters do actually like each other and there are dynamics between them and that's all coming across, you know? Yeah, you know, so, you're right. I think what, what you what your producer said is, is a truism. Like, we, we know what it's like when six people sit on a table. They don't just sit there like they're in a regiment. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're doing a very formal dinner scene from, like, The Crown or something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you have four days to shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, sir... Let's recap then. Your uh, your three films that impacted everything in your other life, which you so gleefully uh, talked about, was Jurassic Park from 93, The Truman Show from 98, and Unbreakable from 2000. Uh, you yeah. also talked about your new film, Prance, or A Christmas Tale, which is out now on, tell us again. On Sky, Now TV, Sky Cinema. I think it's I think it's on three times a day on Sky Cinema, which is brilliant. Which is, <laughs> and then for any any of my any of my US listeners, what what So yeah, so that's on all digital platforms. It's also on Blu-ray. They did a physical release, so you can get hold of you can you can own it if it's something you hopefully you want to come back to next Christmas. Um uh, but yeah, it's on on all kind of digital platforms elsewhere. Brilliant. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the Britflix podcast. Thank you. I probably should say, like, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. <laughs> As a cheesy way to end it. I should have done quotes from all three. <laughs> but thank you, mate. That was great. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. 
From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 